It's time for Knox Talk, a behind-the-scenes look at the business side of college sports. Featuring Paul Sickman from Knox Sports and Brandon Parks from the Vol Network. Now for today's show. Welcome to another edition of Knox Talk. Today is Wednesday, the 12th of April, and as always, I am joined by my good friend from Rocky Top, Brandon Parks in the University of Tennessee. Good morning, Brandon. Good morning, Paul. Uh, great time of year. Uh, basketball just concluded. We're, we're starting to get into the heat of baseball season. Um, and in our world and sponsorship, uh, it's a really fun time of year as we start to uh, gear up and get ready for the upcoming football season this fall. So a lot going on. Not going on. Are you, uh, is your family done spring breaking? Because I'm sick and tired of you people in my state. Can you all get out? Family is done spring breaking. Uh, now we're looking towards that final uh, end date to the school year where the kids get out and uh, rest. And then you'll come back travel. here. You'll all come back here again. We'll come back there and travel baseball is in full force. So um, it's, it's a weekend full of, of hotels and uh, lots of baseball, but a lot of fun. Yeah, my baseball team may never win again. Um, okay, so today we are going to dive into uh, more into client service um, and activation because without great effort at both of these, uh, renewals never happen. So to help us with this journey, we are going to be visiting with Dylan Parkhill with Texas A&M Sports Ventures. Dylan is the manager of partner services for the Texas A&M Learfield Group and is excellent at making sure every I is dotted and maroon T is crossed. Welcome to Knox Talk, Dylan. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, you're welcome. We're happy, happy to have you. So let's start with kind of the basics, Dylan. In your world, how do you organize contract inventory, deadlines, execution items? How do you actually plan it and how do you execute it in terms of just what is your methodology for making sure everything is kind of down? Yeah, so we're probably pretty similar to everybody else, but lots of spreadsheets in our office. We try and keep them to a minimum, but we do have one kind of master inventory tracker. And so we've got kind of a, a document that we follow as our process for onboarding any new partners when a contract gets signed. Um, and part of that is the service rep that's going to work with that partner um, is introduced and kind of gets all of the assets into this master inventory tracker for us. Mm -hmm. um, and that contains everything from on-site activations at volleyball games to game sponsors at football. Um, we try and put as much detail in there as possible so that, you know, somebody gets by, hit by a bus one day. We can kind of deduce what's actually supposed to happen, not just some of the vague things that end up in contracts sometimes. So um, it all kind of stems from that inventory tracker. And from there, we're creating individualized specs and deadlines plans for each of our partners. So um, there's a lot of transferring of assets from, you know, a contract to the inventory tracker to a specs and deadlines sheet. And then the partnership, we like to kick them off with a meeting that kind of just overviews the assets, resets expectations, and then run through specs and deadlines with all the appropriate parties. So from there, it's really just following along that specs and deadlines sheet throughout the year, checking off uh, as dates and things come up. Um, but then I think it's kind of an individualized approach from there. Not everybody wants to be sent, you know, their specs and deadlines sheet every six weeks or at the start of every football season. Some people just want to be called and talked to and asked, you know, Hey, do we want to keep doing what we've been doing? How do we want to switch things up? But um, a lot of those conversations are taking place now for football season, kind of April and May getting started for the fall already. Like, like Brandon mentioned, once basketball season ends, it's, 
it's all eyes on football season. And then kind of a month to six weeks before each sports season starts, we'll try and check in with each of our partners and make sure that we're getting everything squared away for the season. Hey, Dylan, uh, talk through, and I know it's probably different at each property, um, but before before there's an actual contract, at what point uh, are you and your team brought into the sales process, whether it be internally at the office during the development of the proposal or, or actually being a part of the formal presentation to the client? H- how do you guys structure that uh, within your office? Yeah, it's, it's going to be a case-by-case basis. I think, one, it depends on kind of the scale of the partnership. Um, we do a really good job of communicating between our sales and service team um, just what's happening, what kind of activity there is. So if there is a big, you know, fact-find meeting, as we like to call them, where somebody has an initial meeting with a prospect, um, we at least are aware of that most of the time. And then updates are made from there. Hey, there's going to be another fact-find with the right point of contact, or there's going to be a follow-up with a pitch. Um, and most of the time, if it's a pretty standard package that we're putting together for a, a prospect, then we'll kind of, our team on the service side, will kind of okay all of the inventory that's going to go into that. And then if there needs to be some collaboration and some ideation, we can come in to help better talk about, you know, digital assets, engaging with our fans, talk through some of the research, or even pull in some of our specialists in those different areas from headquarters. So I'd say something that we've improved on in the last three to four years that I've been here is that communication from initial contact with a prospect to, hey, this is going to actually be pitched. And we want you guys on the service side involved in that. So um, a lot of times that starts with Cody and I from our team who are kind of managing the service team um, and then trickles down to the rest of the group and the assigned service team member who's going to work on that partnership throughout the life of it. So the, one of my biggest pet peeves, Dylan, with, with regards to kind of the service world, because the service world in, in general, it's a place where most kids start. It's 22 to 27 year old, um, you know, junior sales monkeys that haven't gotten there yet. They don't have their, they don't have their feet under them. They're not very good. And they're put in these roles. But, and so one of the things that comes from that, uh, and Brandon knows is a pet peeve, is the inability to be creative, A, and B, to think ahead. Um, not an issue at AM um, because that's why you, you're here because you're one of the best at what you do. And so well, how do you guys overcome that? How do you get creative when a contract is a contract? It's words, right? How do you get creative? And then more importantly, how do you have the ability to think ahead? And what autonomy do you have to think ahead? Because that's a hell of a thing, right? And you can't be 23 year old thinking ahead. You're just so scared of making a mistake, which we'll talk about mistakes in a second. But tell me a little bit about creativity and thinking ahead and kind of going off script. Yeah, so I think some of that comes down to just cadence of communication internally. So between our service team and the sales team here at AM Sports Properties and then with our partners at, in the athletic department, you know, we always say that the old phrase of the school is your most important client. Um, and so we try and keep them involved in everything that we're doing. So we have a weekly meeting with our creative, our athletics marketing, and our production team. Every Tuesday at 11 a.m., I, I feel like I'm going to be thinking about that meeting for the rest of my life, even when I'm long gone from here. But uh, we're, we use that meeting to collaborate a lot and to brainstorm ideas. If uh, you know one of our sellers comes back and says, hey, I have this client in kind of a unique category, um, they're interested in, you know, baseball, but there's not really a natural fit there. We'll take those 
situations and scenarios to that group on a Tuesday to kind of collaborate. Because those are the people that are in charge of Texas A&M's brand identity, whether it's what you're seeing in stadium or what you're seeing online. Um, so we want those voices to be a part of the conversation. And then the other aspect for us internally with the sports properties team here, we, we don't have any, like no bad ideas are good. Our, no ideas are bad ideas, I guess is the best way to say it. So we've got a weekly service and operations team meeting, the folks that are kind of in the nitty gritty of each partnership where we can talk through problems that we're having with a certain partner or ways that we can improve something that's happening. Um, so a lot of brainstorming, a lot of collaboration that happens there. And then it's kind of on me and some of the other senior members of the team to set us up for success in terms of planning ahead. So I can't expect somebody to your point, Paul, that's 23, 24 years old coming into this first role and kind of getting their feet wet to be thinking about, oh, I need to be getting ready for baseball season before Christmas comes, or I need to be thinking about recaps and renewals before basketball season is over. So those are things that we try and keep on our radar. Um, and then we're working on developing kind of a punch list system of the start of each sport season. What are the things that we have to get done that are consistent deadlines, no matter if the first game of the year is on February 5th for baseball or February 10th, we work backwards from there. So six weeks out, what kind of things do we need to be doing? And those lists will kind of be a part of those service and operations team meetings that we have internally to keep us on track and keep the 30,000 foot view uh, within grasp. I, I have bad ideas all the time, Brandon. How about you? Every day, every day. Now, Dylan had a good idea um, and probably a case study in some ways that I, I, I'd like to, to uh, just make a couple of points about. But and some properties do this better than other properties. Texas A&M obviously being one that does it really well. I can tell you as a seller, the impact and impression that it makes on a, a prospect when you can go into a fact-finding uh, meeting or you can go into a proposal presentation type setting. And if I walk in with a, a partner services team member or a team member, and then even potentially an athletics department official, the impression that that, that makes on an initial prospect um, has has always served us extremely well. Um, yeah, because it's confusing, right? <clears throat> I mean, the hardest thing about what we do to the to the, the to our sales entity is that we're still confusing. Whether it's Learfield, Playfly, no matter who it is, the people who are selling are confusing. Who are you? And so when you kind of close the loop, and there's yeah. no more questions that we are the university, we're the athletic department, here's your sales team, here's your service team. I can see how that would be kind of a blow you away moment. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it also speaks to the importance that you're placing on that prospect meeting. It was mm -hmm. important enough that we brought this, that we brought the service team. It's like the whole coaching staff showing up to a recruit. Exactly, exactly. And I, you know, not to put you on the spot, but you're on the other side of the table in a lot of these instances. I, I'd love to hear a, a story if you have one of, of a of a university and a, and a multimedia rights meeting that blew you away it's never happened because, Brandon. i've never had a, i've never had someone from the university show up to a meeting ever 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 we're well we're going to change that so your next meeting with either texas a&m or tennessee we are going <laughs> to rally the troops <laughs> we will all be seated at the table but i i seriously I, I can think back certainly over the last three or four years when it goes back to the old saying, 
people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when, when you come to a meeting with a full team of people that are dedicating their time, their resources, their ideas, their creativity, I think it makes an impact on a prospect. Um, and I think it differentiates us certainly from, from a lot of the regular media world, but then hopefully it differentiates us. If, if you're a prospect that's buying multiple schools, uh, it's a way to get an advantage and to, to get ahead. Um, I agree. I, I agree. It's awesome. I mean, I think it's, you, you, you nailed it. It just doesn't happen in normal world. So the fact that you guys are thinking that way is terrific. Um, I want to, I want to shift gears. I, I alluded to this a little bit earlier, Dylan, but I, this is, I also want to, I think Brandon loves this too, because he does a really good job with it. What happens when there's a mistake? What happens when you, you know, you're midstream, what is the fallback position of the service team? And is it the service team? Or do you, you just basically defer to the sales guys then? Because that's, it seems like, you know, that's when the sales guys get reengaged. Oh crap, this just happened. You know, and it's going to happen. Every client, you're going to you're going to buff somewhere. I mean, right? It's just going to happen. So, talk. Maybe both of you guys kind of have a little chat here about mistakes and how they defer, and whether that's a that's you, Dylan, or do you take the lead there? Or do you make the first call and say, "Hey, this is my fault. I'm on it," or do you, or does the sales guy come in and say, "Up, oh, hey, this one's on me." And how do you get through that, both of you? Yeah, I think it depends on who the partner is because with each of them, there's going to be stronger relationships, whether it's with the seller or with the service rep. Um, I think we're a little bit unique in that our service team members play a pretty strong role in the process throughout. Um, like I said, we're involved from the proposal all the way up until they're a partner. And then the renewal is kind of on our shoulder. So it's not like that's the time for the seller to get re-engaged. We try and keep everybody involved in the communication throughout the partnership. So that's best case scenario. And we're talking about a worst case scenario here specifically. But um, I, I think it depends on who the client is and who has the best relationship and who needs to hear the news. So if it's the director of marketing that needs to know something that happened or didn't happen, for instance, then that's probably a phone call that I'm making immediately. Um, and then I'm talking to our team internally and with the sales rep to figure out, okay, before we just go to them with this problem that we have, what's the solution? How are we going to either make good or rectify this situation? What's, what's the fix here? Instead of just calling and saying, Hey, this did this happened. It wasn't ideal, or this didn't happen. Um, we're going to work on it and figure it out. But I at least wanted to let you know. I think it's great to have that upfront communication, but we like to go to them with solutions and not just the issues. Brandon, you you seem like you're the fallback every time there's a problem, right? You, you're going to be stepping in. Well, I I believe in ownership of it, and um, and I do think. Um, as it relates to Tennessee and how our partnership service team works with the sellers. Uh, it's almost an interwoven conversation that's continuous that never stops. Uh, we, we do not take an approach where we sell someone into a sponsorship and then immediately hand it off and are disengaged until it's time to present a recap. That's not the path or the route that we take within our office. I think the seller is engaged every step of the way. Um, and I think there's a joint amount of work that can then be shared across the partner services team along with the seller. I will say, go back to the very beginning of the process talking about mistakes uh i think we're pretty upfront and transparent here about we're not perfect but you're going to get a daily effort from us to make sure that we're not only executing everything in your contract but we're over delivering but mistakes although we try to eliminate them are probably going to be inevitable so you build that on the front end for them to know we're only human. And as much as we try to minimize mistakes when they do happen, one, we're going to own them. And then two, we're going to come up with a strategy to make them good. 
And then, you know, my ultimate goal is to turn that negative in, into a, a real positive and over deliver in a way that we actually build more value and trust in the relationship. That's the only way to do it. And that's how you're defined. Ultimately, that's how every good relationship is defined because there's going to be, there's going to be a, a muck up and you just got to figure out how you do better on the back end. And that's right. You can actually improve a relationship when there is a mistake. I, I want to talk about something that's fun now because you guys love this. Uh, every one of you have dealt with clients that is, uh, that are a little over eager in their asks. They want extra tickets to every game. They keep calling. They keep calling. They want field passes. You give them field passes for one game and they call the next game and they call the next game. Dylan, I'm going to start with you. I want to, how do, how do you deal with that? How do you deal? What is, I, I, let's tell people out there that are listening, how you deal with that client that, that all of a sudden just keeps asking. And we're, we're going through a little bit of this right now, just with the demand for tickets. Um, I would say three or four years ago, we were in a spot that, you know, we had an abundance of tickets that we were trying to get partners out to a game to see their signage or their features, or just see how the partnership was actually being activated and fulfilled. And then, kind of get a feel for what's happening in the stadium in those moments. Um, and now we're in a spot where thankfully, you know, Texas A&M didn't have a great football season in case you missed it back in 2022, but we still had 98,000. No, we didn't miss it. Thanks for, yeah. thanks for reminding us. Go ahead. Yeah. Thanks for leaving the, <laughs> leaving the helmet on your shelf in spite of that. But uh, we, we still had 98,000 tickets sold for every game. So it's not like we could just throw people into the game because there was a, a bad season and, same thing with baseball. You know, we're getting ready. We're looking into the next few years for park renovations for Aggie baseball so that we can get more people out to games because we just don't have the seats to meet the demand. So I think part of that goes back to Brandon's point about setting expectations at the beginning of the partnership. Um, you know, hey, these are the tickets that are a part of your partnership. If there are circumstances that arise, because there always will be that we need to take care of someone, we will always do our best. But you know, don't take it personally if we're not able to take care of you. And um, usually that's pretty well received. But to your point, Paul, there, there are those people who are extra persistent and will always look for other ways to take care of them if it's a no. And I mean, we go to, I'm sure, Brandon, y'all see the same thing. You'll get down to game day sometimes and people show up with, oh, I, I brought my son or my daughter or this other client that I didn't tell you guys about. So now we need five tickets instead of four. And so we're always working down to the very last minute of kickoff to try and make those things happen and try not to say no if we don't have to. Okay, that's a yeah. terrible answer. You're being way too kind. Uh, Brandon, do better. Answer well, the question. How do you handle right. a person? How do you handle a person that's a pain in the ass and comes at you over and over again? Yeah, well, Dylan, Dylan set the first part of it, and that's one to try to set an expectation in the very beginning. Um, and, and I think there's a way to respectfully do that. Um, now, I will tell you internally, how do we game plan around that? we prioritize based on partnership levels and key decision makers, uh, understanding that we only have a limited amount of inventory and we have to, that inventory has to work for us and work for our business uh, when you, because when, we're always renewing. Um, but but when, you, when you do have someone that can be problematic and challenging, um, I think it's okay to say no. I think it's okay to say no. Um, you know, now I, I don't try to say no every single time. You know, we, we want to be able to take care of people. Uh, but if, if, if they've got an ask during the fall that that's simply not possible or doesn't fit within that prioritization chart that we're talking about as far as management of inventory, then, 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 then the answer is no. Now, I will tell you on the front end, what I typically tell clients is that 
please don't ever hesitate to ask, but just understand we have a limited amount of inventory, premium assets, those kinds of things. If I have it and it's available, I'm more than, ha more than happy to share with you but there's going to be certain games and certain asks that, that aren't going to be possible. And, and you know, you, you deal with that a lot around your most premium home games. Everyone wants to come to the couple or three games uh, that, are, that are the premier games on your schedule. And you, to be honest, and for us, we have to prioritize our largest partners. And yeah, I so get it. We, I get it. But I, I agree with you what you said earlier, Brandon. I think the answer, and I have to do it too, because the requests all the times come through us, right? Yeah. Is I will also set an expectation, but I will probably be lower than y'all's. Like if I know someone's coming to, wants to come to an A&M game four times this year, I'm going to say, listen, probably one is possible. Two is going to be stretching. I don't think you're going to be able to get three or four. And then I think saying no early is awesome because the yes later means more. Yeah, yeah. it does. And, and the other way to think about this too, and, and I try to do this, is put myself in the client's shoes. What would my expectations be? I like to think I'm reasonable uh, and, and not everyone's reasonable. But right. if, I can, if, if I can make a decision or a decision's during a period of a, of a sports season and look back on it and go, I feel like, like we treated everyone fairly, then that's all that that's all that we can do as as representatives. But you just know there's some, yeah. there's just there's just problem people. Um, okay, I want to change subjects again, guys. Okay, D Dylan, you guys can both answer this if you want. But how old or seasoned does someone need to be? Because you have to hire young people, right? We all have to. Unfortunately, we all have to hire young people all the time. How old or seasoned do you think an entry level person in college sports service should be? How long will it take them to get there? So. You, you have to hire somebody. How long will it take them? A football season? A full sports season? How long before you got someone you could take the training wheels off? And how old do you think you should hire someone right now? Because it used to be this was you hire the 22-year-old and then they, that's the entry level. I'm not sure that's the answer every time anymore, but I'll let you answer that one, Dylan. Yeah, it does feel like the standard has been raised, and I think that's probably a good thing. But, I mean, initially my first thought is a full year to see everything and how the sausage is made. It's, it's great to get through a football season, but if I'm, if I've got someone new starting on our team in July, like we did a couple of years back, then they don't really know all the work that went in, in April, May, June to build up to getting ready for a football season. Right. So I would, I would say it's a full year, but something that we've tried to do to combat, you know, bringing in anybody that's, you know, 22 and super green, no experience is using our game day staff. So we have property assistants that we'll use for game days at all of our sports really. Um, and using that as kind of a pool to feed into potential full-time staff members, whether it's here or at other schools within kind of the Learfield network. So um, our most recent hire came on board about two months ago um, and she finished up a graduate program for sport management here at A&M and had worked in some different areas within the athletic department. So we already had a relationship with her and when she came to us saying, hey, I have an interest in your area of sports sponsorships, we were able to work her into the fold for the fall football season. She graduated with a master's degree in December and started with us in February full time. So it was kind of a nice cadence to work and see somebody that had gone through finished all of their schools, had some different experiences and found that they had an affinity for our world of partnerships came and got some experience with us on game day, spent a little extra time in the office um, and then finished with school with a master's degree before coming on board with us full time. So that's, that's kind of a perfect 
scenario, but I realize they don't always happen that way. Brandon? Um, Dylan, hopefully there are a number of partner services, um, team members and coordinators that potentially listen to the podcast. If, if you had to think about two or three things that are, are vitally important for you to be successful in your role, what would those things be? And then I want to follow that up. I'd love for you to give us um, just a play-by-play of what a football Saturday looks like um, from your perspective. Sure. Um, so a couple of traits that we're always looking for when we're hiring new service team members, um, I think the first one that comes to mind is attention to detail. Um, if, if nothing else, if you can have attention to detail and be persistent with that and always have an eye on all of your different partnerships, all of your different sports that you're overseeing, um, hard work and attention to detail will kind of carry you through. Um, you got to be willing to do the little things and the hard things. I think one thing that I've benefited from and kind of my path in this world is starting out with, with Learfield in a full-time role. I was essentially a glorified intern making the coffee and emptying the dishwasher at the corporate office. And so when I get to a game day at, at Texas A&M, and I've been doing this for a few years now, setting up tables and you know, putting out signage and filling up water bases on a football game day. I, I can't be above that. So we're all equals, especially when it comes to game day. So having kind of that mindset, um, I think is something that you can kind of see with people as you're having an initial conversation with them and the work that they're willing to do. I can't love that last paragraph enough there, Brandon. I mean, yeah, that is, and, I mean, that is awesome. <laughs> and Dylan, unfortunately, you're in the minority in that perspective because we, we are really challenged as an industry to find individuals that will take that approach that are willing to do anything and everything to help the team win. And, and there are part of the reason I wanted you to talk through game day is there are a lot of glamorous things that we get to do. Um, and, and it's for all the hard work that you put in, you deserve to be able to experience those things. But there, there is a lot of heavy lifting that goes on behind the scenes that no one ever sees, talking about making the sausage. And w- without that, we can't be successful. Um, and, and I appreciate your mentality towards those things because that, that, that ultimately is what carries the day. Yeah, it's, it's not what ends up uh, my 4 a.m. arrival for an 11 a.m. kickoff is not what ends up on Twitter or on Instagram that kind of shows off the the perks of the job, I guess, but it's all part of it. And it, it's what makes those opportunities and experiences like knocking off number one, Alabama and being on the field and things like that worth it is knowing the work that went into it. So it's, it's long days and long hours, but like I said, it, it makes everything else worth it. Yeah. So, okay. So start, let's start there. 4am for an 11am kickoff. Walk us through your day. Oh, I guess I guess football home game weekends kind of start on Friday just in terms of the prep. We're at the stadium 8 a.m. till about 2 or 3 usually, whether that's, you know, receiving game programs that are being delivered, uh, setting up our suite, our hospitality area, having folks who have larger scale activations that maybe need to be built out or they need to have things delivered. Those are all arriving on a Friday morning. And then there's pregame script meetings on Friday afternoons, usually at one o'clock here. So all of those things are happening on a Friday before we even get to a Saturday. And obviously there's work and communication well before that, but seven hours before kickoff is typically our call time. If, if we're lucky and we've kind of gotten into a rhythm of the season, maybe we're getting there at, 
at 4.30 or 5 for an 11 o'clock game. But I think the past couple of years we've had season openers at 11 a.m. and you can't take any risks there. So 7 a.m. call time, um, we're getting things set. We, we have a pretty uh, strong hold on what happens in our fan zone. It's pretty much operated by us exclusively. Um, so we've got a team of about seven to eight property assistants that are out there with us. Um, and we're doing everything from, you know, setting up feather flags, picnic tables, getting food trucks who are arriving to our fans on set. We've got a stage at some of our premier games, whether it's home openers or big SEC matchups. So it's coordinating those things. It's um, having a band that arrives to play the live music, getting them into their green room space, which essentially is just a conference room right inside the stadium for us. But it's all of those little things. And then we kind of split everything up into two different areas for pregame prep. We've got the fan zone and then hospitality. So we've, we're really blessed to have a great hospitality setup that is literally connected to the stadium. Um, and we can take folks down to the sideline directly from our hospitality area. We don't have to, you know, caravan from a tailgate lot a mile away from the stadium or anything like that, which is really nice. Um, but it's prepping that and it's prepping the suite. So we've got a, a game day timeline that all of our full-time staff members have with them like a hard copy on game day, as well as our property assistance. And that is broken down really just working backwards from kickoff to down to the minute of everything that we're doing from seven hours out. So it's a lot of detail and a lot of rinse and repeat game to game, but, you know, different game sponsors, we're going to have different reps from the service and the sales team working with them, taking care of folks in hospitality. We're going to have a different group in the suite every single week. So it's really just a lot of communication and a lot of being detailed and making sure that everybody's on the same page. So uh, Dylan, uh, the good news is that it's never hot in College Station. So you're always doing work in wonderful 65 degree weather. So I know it's really comfortable. So that's the good news is that it's never, never uncomfortably weather-wise. Uh, okay, so Dylan, I'm gonna give you, just give me two or three sentences here of what you would tell someone who wants to be in your business. Give them two or three sentences of advice and then we're gonna wrap up. And I, I think to echo what I said earlier about just willing to do anything and then attention to detail, finding ways to display that, whether you work at Home Depot while you're a student helping pay for school, or you've got a great internship opportunity that's relevant to the sports world. I think those characteristics can, can over, not overshadow, but they can, they can block out any lack of experience. And I think we're willing to give a chance to anybody that shows that they're willing to work hard and that they can have attention to detail. And then don't be afraid to reach out to folks, especially this time of year. I, I meet with so many students and I try to never say no to them, even if it's a 15 minute Zoom, because we're, we were all at that point years or decades ago that we were in trying my, to get a foot in decades. the door. Yeah, in wow. your case, it's years. <laughs> Thank you, Dylan. That's Dylan Parkhill from Texas A&M. Thank you very much. So, and thank you to all of our listeners for downloading. We will see you again in two weeks with another edition of Knox Talk. Maybe by then, um, Brandon's baseball team might lose and mine might win. So, sheesh, on behalf of Brandon Parks, I'm Paul Sigmund from Knox Sports Marketing. And thank you again for listening to Knox Talk. <laughs>